this talk is particularly relevant for you today if you are a woman earning a decent income. I'm not going to ask you to wave. <laughs> if you're a sort of budding DIYer, or if you're wondering whether people still get raised from the dead today. <laughs> I'm going to read, um, we're in uh, Second Kings 4. Uh, I'm going to read, uh, we're working through this whole sort of life of Elisha, uh, looking at this kind of prophetic influence, uh, the people and the power of God. Um, I'm going to read verses 8 to 17, first of all, and I'm going to talk on that, and then I'm going to read the rest of the passage, okay? Off we go. Now there came a day when Elisha passed over to Shunem, where there was a prominent woman, and she persuaded him to eat food. And so it was. As often as he passed by, he turned in there to eat food. She said to her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is a holy man of God passing by us uh, continually. Please let us make a little walled up uh, upper chamber, and let us set a bed for him there and a table, and a chair, and a lampstand, and it shall be when he comes to us that he can turn in there. And one day he came there and turned in to the upper chamber and rested. And then he said to Gehazi, his servant, uh, call this Shunammite. Uh, and when he had called her, she, she stood before him, and he said, to, he said to him, say now to her, behold, you have been careful for, uh, for us and for all this care. What can I do for you? Would you be spoken for to the king or the captain of the army? And she answered, Oh, I live among my own people. So he said, Well, what then can be done for her? And Gehazi answered, Truly, she has no son and her husband is old. And he said, Call her. And when he'd called her, she stood in the doorway and he said, At this season next year, you will embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. And the woman conceived and bore a son at that season the next year, as Elisha had said to her. I want you just to have a look at this woman. We don't even know her name. But we do know that she was a prominent woman. Um, the NIV says she was a wealthy woman or a well-to-do woman, okay? We know that she had some money. She was married, but she was without kids. We know that her husband was older than her. Um, to be honest, the husband doesn't really come off very well in this passage. <laughs> he's kind of not the kind of, as you'll see, he's not the one who really to take the initiative. She's the one who seems to take the initiative all the time. Um, he's sort of obvious by his absence. Um, and she really gets it together. She decides not only just uh, let's kind of make up the spare room, but you know, let's build a whole new room upstairs for this man. Okay, and his servant. Let's, let's, let's do a whole DIY project here on the house. And the husband obviously goes along with it and says, yeah, that's a good idea. Um, I just want to say this, this woman inspires me. Um, she's eager to be hospitable. It says that she persuaded 
Elijah and his servant Gazi to eat food when they'd pass by. She's responsive and full of initiative, deciding that it would be great to build this spare room for the two guys. Also, she, she could have been pushy. Um, she could have been that sort of person that's kind of like, look, now that you're here and now that I've kind of done this thing, I've got this kind of need and I really want, you know, I, I'm really going to kind of keep asking you and keep kind of going at you and keep, you know, every time you're passing by, oh, by the way, you know, have you got a prophetic word for me or you kind of, can you pray for me for this thing? And we don't see that at all. In fact, we see the opposite. We see that actually... Elisha's kind of going to her and say, well, come on, what, what do you need? I mean, I, I've got contacts. I, I could go to the king, I could go to the captain of the army, I could do a lot for you. And she's like, no, no, I'm actually, a, this statement, I'm with my own people. It's like saying, actually, I'm fine. I, I don't need you to speak to any of the kind of governance. I'm, I'm actually doing fine. I'm, we're, we're doing great. Thank you. We, we don't have any needs. <clears throat> so we see, we see this whole attitude. Um, it, it's quite interesting actually that we see quite a lot of occurrences in the Bible of wealthy women being absolutely key in God's work uh, at our small group in West Lothian this week we were looking at Acts uh, 16 where uh, Lydia who is a wealthy woman and dealing it says in fine purple cloth uh, and she was responsive to Paul's teaching. In fact, she was the first European Christian ever to receive Christ. And she opens up her home to them. She provides hospitality, even in the midst of real pressure and hostility that is kind of going on for them. We also see Martha and Mary, obviously, kind of opening their home to Jesus. It's a quite interesting I think that actually we see this emphasis in the Bible that actually is pointing here's this woman as I said we don't know her name but actually it, it's being lifted up for us and I want to say to you this morning are you eager to, to use what God has given you to be a blessing to him are you Taking initiative without being asked. Yeah, just notice a minute. She, she doesn't. She could say, "Oh yeah, we got a spare couch. Uh, you could crash there. You're fine." That's not obviously. It's no sort of inconvenience to us. You know, she actually goes. She builds this whole other room. I mean, that's some demonstration of. Uh, going out of your way, isn't it? The expense and the effort. There's something here actually about her honouring of God. Uh, In those days, Elisha was really the closest you could get to kind of God's person on earth. He was a type of Christ, if you like, uh, a kind of forerunner. But as we'll see later on, Lots of limitations. He was just a man, just like you and me. I want to challenge you. Are you making room for God in your life? 
Or is it kind of like, yeah, you can, I've got this little space here, you can kind of like have this bit. I, I, I mean, obviously, you know, I've got lots of other things in my life as well. Uh, but, you know, you, you can have this little bit here. Or are you saying, no, no, God, I'm going to have a whole redevelopment here. I want to say to you that this, this attitude of hers is sort of not like Airbnb. It's much more like Grand Designs. <laughs> What's your attitude to God? How much of your life are you willing to totally change? Or is it just the bare minimum? I, I, I can't really speak for the husband in this issue. But this lady is an entrepreneurial. She's willing to make major changes. I want to say to you, following Christ will cost you everything. If you're still in that process, and I know there would be many here today who are at that process. They're still, you're here, but you're sort of like, are you a Christian? Well, steady. <laughs> I'm looking at it, okay? I'm having a think. <clears throat> um, I just want to say there's a lot of other kind of belief systems that are a lot easier. Um, becoming a Christian is really saying, I'm following you, God. I'm going to make radical changes in my life. He wants, he's going to say, are you willing to give up everything for me? Because <clears throat> we see that of Christ. And he challenges us at our deepest level. But, and it's a big but, if you want real change in your life, amazing, awesome moments, and we'll see there are some amazing, awesome moments for this lady where God breaks in and totally blows your socks off. It's only Jesus. And what we see next is that this woman responds, sorry, God responds to the woman's generosity. Elisha is touched by her very generous heart and wants to know what he can do to help. And he then prophesies that this season next year you will have a son. It's, kind of, it's almost like he brings it into being by this word in. He actually speaks it in and it's almost like you know, it then happens. It's not just a, it's not just a fall, it's not just saying, oh, so I, I think in the future this is going to happen. It's like he, he, it's like he's telling it, no, no, this time. And what we hear by that is that we're immediately reminded of a similar occasion that happens earlier on in the Bible, which is in Genesis um, and at chapter 18, where Sarah is also told the same thing, Abraham, Sarah who has gone for years and years and years without a baby, and suddenly, this time next year. So we've got an echo of those kind of similar words. There's quite a lot of different occasions in the Bible, interestingly, as I looked at it, um, of women struggling to have children. We see Rebecca in Genesis 25. We see Rachel in Genesis 29. We see Hannah in 1 Samuel 1. We see Elizabeth in Luke 1, you know, women that are actually having difficulty and God speaks in. The interesting thing about this baby boy, though, 
that we're reading about is that actually all the others have kind of crucial plans and purposes fulfilling the sort of ancestry line that would eventually lead to Jesus or opening the way like John the Baptist for Jesus. What do we know about this lad? Well, we don't even know his name. Did he have a key role to play in Israel's history? No, he didn't. So what's the point of this then? What was the point of doing it? And, do you know, I think it's a wonderful thing. I love this thing. Why did God and why did Elisha do it? Was it because he was going to have this really key role? Actually, no. Why did he do it? For no other better reason than I just want you to be happy. I know this is going to make you happy, lady. You know, God does so many things just for the same reasons. We often get so super spiritual. We're looking for the strategic meaning. Is God giving you this son to be the next Billy Graham? Or will he just be a happy joiner? Or a lab technician? God just basically does things because he loves it. He loves to show his pleasure and for us to have that pleasure and that joy. And often it's no, there's no deeper reason than that. But what a deep reason that is. Do you know that? I love this uh, quote from George Whitfield. Is it the end of religion to make men happy? And is it not everyone's privilege to be as happy as he can? Question mark. This is all the dear Saviour desires to make you happy that you may leave your sins and sit down eternally with him. And Randy Alcorn says, God is glorified when we are happy in him. We should see God as desiring our happiness, being the source of it and going to inconceivable lengths to bring his happiness to us. This is what makes our happiness in God immensely important. Not first and foremost because we want to be happy, though of course we do, but because God made us to want to be happy and because he himself truly wants us to be happy. I'm in the middle of reading Randy Alcorn's book called Happiness, which I can thoroughly recommend. It's quite a tome of a book, kind of taking you through lots and lots of scripture, but also lots of... um, quotes over the, over the years and actually making this point of happiness. Thirdly, what a great story. Generous woman who makes room for God and is anointed man of the hour without asking, receives a son even when 
her husband is past it. Um, and we could leave it right there. We could just say, oh, that's, that's great, thank you, Matthew. That's good, you know, got that. The thing is, the story doesn't end there. And we need to read on to the next bit. That's what we're going to do. So, when the child was grown, the day came that he went out to his father and to the reapers. He said to his father, my head, my head. And he said to his servant, carry him to his mother. And when he'd taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her lap until noon and then died. What? Like you just... Like you just nip out for a coffee or a loo break in the middle of a film come back and come back asking, you know, did I miss anything? And it's, yeah, the main character just got blown up in his flat or something. You, know, you, you, you sort of, you're reading this passage and suddenly you're kind of like, what? You, you had this amazing miracle, this amazing generosity. You, 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 we see this child happen. Wow. And then the next, next you know, couple of verses, we see the child dies. Kind of like other occasions in your life where you feel like, yeah, thanks, actually. <laughs> to be honest, I feel worse off now. now you know, if, if I, beforehand, I didn't actually know I needed that. Now I've got it, and it's actually, I'm really loving this child or whatever it is that you've got, and now you've taken it away again. I mean, that's kind of like really hard. And we face things that actually we get and then we lose. And we'll look at that in a minute. Anyway, I'm going to read to the end of the passage because it gets better. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. Then she called her husband and said, Please send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and, re- and return. He said, Why will you go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, It will be well. And then she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Do not slow down the pace for me unless I tell you. So she went and came to the man of God to Mount Carmel. And the man of God saw her at a distance. And he said to Gehazi's servant, Behold, there is the Shunammite. Uh, Please run now to meet her and say to her, Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your child? And she answered, It is well. And then she came to the man of God on the hill. And she caught hold of his feet, and Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, no, no, let her alone, for her soul is troubled within her, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. And then she said, did I ask for a son from my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? And then he said to Gehazi, gird up your loins, take my staff in your hand and go your way. If you meet any man, don't salute him. If anyone salutes you, don't, you don't answer him and lay my staff on the lad's face. And the mother of the lad said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. And as he arose and followed her, then Gehazi passed on before them and laid the staff on the lad's face, but there was no sound or response. So he returned to meet him and told him, The lad has not awakened. And when Elisha came into the house, behold, the lamb was dead and laid on his bed. So he entered and shut the door, 
behind them both and prayed to the Lord. And he went up and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth and his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself on him and the flesh of the child became warm. And then he returned and walked in the house once back and forth and went up and stretched himself on him. And the lad sneezed seven times and the lad opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite. So he called him. When she came to him, into him, he said, take up your son. And she went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground. And she took up her son and went out. Here's an outcome that surprises us. God gives and then it feels like God takes away straight away. There'll be people here today, I'm, I'm aware in this size of gathering, who will say, I've, I've had that experience. I remember a dear friend and pastor who lost their only son suddenly at the age of 14 from a brain tumour. I can tell you this, that I am still in awe at the couple's undeterred trust in Christ and total lack of bitterness. And we see the same with this woman. Her attitude is amazing. She runs to meet Gehazi, Elisha's servant. He asks, is the family well? And she says, yes, it's well. She, she's not sort of this woman who's kind of so kind of past herself. Her son has just died in her arms, literally. And yet she it's got a heart which is like, no, no, I'm, I'm okay. Just, I'm just trying to get to Elisha. <clears throat> And then she shares it with Elisha. And the other thing we see here is that Elisha has limited knowledge. Here's the guy that's actually spoken almost this child into being. And yet at this instance, he has limited knowledge. Paul says in Corinthians, we prophesy in part. And I think part of this point here is that actually God's wanting to show us this is just a human being this isn't this isn't Christ this is just a man who has some knowledge and some information and God uses but also has frailties and weaknesses and limitations and God speaks some things and doesn't speak other things and I want to say there's something healthy about that the saying that stops us kind of putting him on too high a pedestal here. Oh my goodness, this is a, you know, a guy who actually, as, as we see, brings somebody back to life again. And yet, the Bible is bringing this point to us of saying, you know what, we're dealing with frail humanity. Don't put leaders on total pedestals here. You know? And I think it also speaks to us um, any of us here that are actually leading, that actually you have some info, but actually you, what a humble heart this Elisha had. What a, a humility that he had. Or actually, no, actually, to be honest, I, I, God hasn't showed me this at all. I didn't know that, you, that your child had died. <clears throat> and I think there's something um, 
there's something actually more believable and it kind of, it stops us kind of doing some weird things with kind of leaders uh, and actually say, no, no, we're, our honor on our praise is towards Almighty God and Jesus, not man, in, in, even though God uses them. And then fourthly, and finally, there's, there's a number of instances in the Bible of people being raised from the dead, besides Jesus. There's the widow of Zarephath, which is with Elijah. And then in the New Testament, there's Jairus' daughter, there's Lazarus, there's Dorcas, there's Eutychus in Acts. There's the widow of Nan uh, in Luke 7. Uh, sorry, the widow of Nan's son in Luke 7. And um, often there are things that actually are uh, true and are pointing towards something. So this is pointing towards something that is to come. Okay. Um, we see here, can you just turn to the map picture? We see here that um, this happened in Shunem. Okay. See the little bottom star on the screen? Um, that's where that happened. The interesting thing that, when we look at it, is actually this widow of Nan's son that Jesus raised from the dead was actually in Nan, which is literally just the other side of that mountain. It's just, it, it, it's a kind of, you know, an hour's walk away. Um, what we're seeing is that actually there's a kind of pointing ahead to actually one that's going to come, one that is going to bring real for, for not just one or two people, but for all mankind, all those that believe in Christ, a victory over death. Jesus, who passed through death himself, conquered death, not just for himself, but for us. It's to give us faith in Christ that actually we too will pass through death. So these, these kind of Old Testament stories kind of pointing forwards to actually this wonderful truth that actually we have this knowledge that through faith in Christ, not through anything we've done, that actually death for us will be a doorway which will just take us from one life to another life. Yeah? And it... It's a wonderful thing in that. Some may ask here today, well, do we ever see people being raised from the dead today? And um, is God still wanting to make this point, reaffirm this to his church? Uh, I want to say yes. Yes, we do. Um, we, Anne and I were just recently away in uh, South Africa and uh, in Clarence. And this church there, 80% of the people that go there are from the local township. And um, they have this um, outreach to the elderly uh, that actually reaches out, sort of picks them up and then brings them for lunch, uh, shares a bit of scripture with them, uh, prays with people, uh, and that happens on a kind of weekly basis. 
And um, this happened in uh, June 2011. And um, a lady, Hanukkah, was sharing at one of these meetings how Jesus still heals today. And this is a sort of first-hand account by the person who's in charge of this elderly scheme called Topsy, uh, of that event, okay, on the 20th of June. Now, I remember when she started, Hanukkah, started her message um, and was saying, Jesus still does miracles today around the whole world. He's still saving life. is still raising the dead. And the elderly women were sitting outside on the patio entrance because it was warmer in the sunshine. It was midwinter and freezing in the hall. June is winter for them. Uh, as Hanukkah was talking, Francina slumped in her chair and her colour changed. She went ashen. The old people sitting near her started to whisper amongst themselves and Sasutu that she's dead. Look, she's dead. What is this Diclavent church going to do now? People became hysterical. Some ran away. <coughs> Alice and I are trained using equipment um, to read blood pressure and taking vitals. Uh, and I got the blood pressure machine, uh, which also reads heartbeats, and it reflected a very low heartbeat, about 20 at first. And then, in a moment, it said error, and no blood pressure reading, no beat at all. This was over at least 30 minutes. And Alice said, that we should close her eyes. Her eyes were sort of still slightly open. Hanukkah said, let's pray, and started singing, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we have the victory. A very old chorus, over and over and over again. And as she sang it, the color changed, and moisture seemed to appear on her face. She sort of coughed and sat forwards, and people were so frightened uh, when they told her what happened. No one wanted to sit next to her during lunch. <coughs> <coughs> Frightened of these sort of things. <coughs> she wouldn't eat, and she just wanted to go home. She kept saying she must go home. And she walked all the way home. She was 88 at the time. And Gareth, who leads the church, and I, Topsy, uh, various ladies visited her at home. And we just have that slide. And uh, she said she wanted to be get saved and receive Christ. And uh, later she was baptized. And her daughter also wanted to get saved, so we prayed with her. And she never misses a week. And she's still alive and still visiting um, that church. That's a pretty awesome story, isn't it? Um, <laughs> um, and these are people who just, like Hanukkah, Hanukkah, and it just lives in a township house. Um, it's probably just a shack, uh, along with everyone else. She's just an ordinary, ordinary person who's just telling people that Jesus is still alive today and still does amazing miracles and things. Um, I want to finish with this. God wants to show us 
his unmerited love. He wants us, most of all, to be happy in him. Do you know that this morning? I think if that's all you hear, this is a story about a nobody who had a son that is also a nobody that we don't know. And God did amazing stuff for her. All because, well, she was just a generous woman who made a room for the man of God at the time. And God showed her amazing kindness and love. It's also a story of great pain. Let's face it, all of us who enjoy happiness now, our love for loved ones one day, at some point in our lives, will face loss and grief. Many of us here have already faced loss and grief in our lives. It's part of life. The question is, how will you deal with it? Will you get angry? Immerse yourself in bitterness? Or like this woman... Will you stay in faith and have a good heart and say, I've got a good God? We need to make room for God radically, altering our lives to do so. Staying humble like Elisha, even when God shows us bits and doesn't show us other things. We need to be honest in our frailty. And be like the woman who, she wasn't doing this in order to gain something. She wasn't opening her house up in order to gain some benefit. She was just doing it because she thought it was a great thing to do. She just wanted to be open and generous. That's our heart. That's, saying, that's how our heart should be. Just saying, it's not for gain. I'm, just, I'm doing this just because I want to be open and generous. We don't know her name, we don't know her son's name, but we do know the story. And I believe as we look into the future, we will meet millions of people who we say, I never heard about you. But they're just faithful people doing simple, faithful things. And, go, and we will meet them in eternity and say, wow, you just, you didn't have any big role to play. <clears throat> you just were faithful in what you did. And I think this is a story about that. Even, in, even though it's a story about amazing birth and amazing bringing back from death to life. But I think the amazing thing is this woman's heart. And I think that's God saying, you be like that? Just that kind of generosity, that openness. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray right now. I thank you, Father, that you are an amazing God. And I thank you, God, that you, your heart's desire for each one of us here is that we 
with no happiness, that you're wanting actually to get sin out of the way so that we could know real happiness, not some fake thing. And Lord, we say, God, help us to be generous and like this woman. We just want to trust you. And I want to pray for people who have had real heartache, or even right now are feeling ache because they've had something really, really good. This was so good, and I've lost it now. It's gone, it's, it's moved on. Um, God wants to say to you, keep a good heart. Lord, we pray that, Lord, help us to keep a good heart. Amen.